Warning, this podcast may contain strong language. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Film Fight, a podcast where we take two movies of similar story or plot and put them against each other to see which one is better and which one was more successful. I'm Zach Bassetta. Just throw out the names now, right? Why not? That's right. <laughs> and I'm Amber Hollinger. Nice to see you, Amber. Nice to see you, Zach. We have gracing us with their commentary today. We're going to be joined once again by sound engineer and post-production guru, Steve Walter. Hi, Steve. Hey, how's it going, guys? Also joining us is Team One marketing strategist, Jim Vistano. Hello. <laughs> and we spent, well, a good six hours of our life invested in this week's conversation. Yeah, I'd like to thank you all for taking the time to watch Wyatt Earp. This in particular was a matchup that I found very interesting. And I know that Kevin Costner makes long movies, so. Oh my goodness. Well, we should probably tell everybody what we're talking about this week. We're doing a Western matchup. So our marquee matchup is Tombstone versus Wyatt Earp. And I had never seen Wyatt Earp before. I will never see that movie again. I feel like I'm still watching it. (laughs) (laughs) What's really interesting is that I totally skipped Tombstone and I watched Wyatt Earp in the theater with my family. It's hard. I believe Jim watched it in the theater as well. I did. I watched, well, I started with Tombstone and then watched Wyatt Earp thinking, oh, this is going to be another one of those. And it's quite different. Let's talk about these suckers. So Tombstone, directed by George Cosmatos and Kevin Jar. Kevin Jar is uncredited, and I'm curious about that. I couldn't find anything that said why he didn't want his name on this movie, or if it was just a conversation behind the scenes who was getting credit for this. Interesting, yeah. because it's a good script. Mm-hmm. But, uh, George has directed 11 feature films, including Rambo First Blood and Cobra and Leviathan. Yeah, and it looked like Kevin Jar was also on those Rambo movies so maybe they work together yeah but he just doesn't maybe he's just shy (laughs) credit (laughs) it's actually Kevin's only directing credit is Tombstone wow and he doesn't even want credit for it so if you're going to take credit for something totally take credit for Tombstone it rocked yes absolutely when you look at these two movies side by side there is really one that stands out as being so much better I can't understand what Wyatt Earp was trying to do if it was a biopic or if it was trying to be an action flick all I know is whatever it tried to do it was about 11 hours too long (laughs) performances with with some of the heavy hitters again in this just could not make it work I, I mean I wanted to like it with Gene Ackman Kevin Costner and all these great actors that I just kept wondering like what why are we watching this there's nothing to it you know it was trying to be a long movie which (laughs) oh it succeeded it succeeded so that's what was the goal basically the (laughs) The cast for tombstone like it's interesting because there were several actors who in general i'm indifferent about but i felt like they had great performances specifically in tombstone Mm -hmm. in particular val kilmer Uh. who Val Kilmer, well, in White Earp. going to be a majority of the podcast is going to be that. Yeah. Love letter to Val Kilmer. <laughs> you know, Dennis Quaid is kind of like a frail guy, he coughs here and there. Val Kilmer is dying. <laughs> I mean, like he's sweating and the delivery for his lines, it really felt like I just don't give any fucks anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I'm also very smart. Right. 
Well, listen, we can't talk about these films without comparing Kilmer and Quaid's performances of Doc Holliday. These films were being shot at roughly the same time, so neither one of them was influenced by the other's choices, which makes it for a pure comparison, which is awesome. Both nailed the Southern aristocratic Georgia accent. Holiday in real life was an heir, I think the cousin, a couple generations removed, of Margaret Mitchell, the author of Gone with the Wind. So they kind of took that heritage and infused it into their performances. Both played Doc with kind of a mischievous twinkle in their eye, both produced coughing fits to sell the tuberculosis that he was fighting, and both lost weight for the role. Both practiced gunslinging for the role, which, as we've discussed previously, is hot. I want to learn how to do that. And that's pretty much where the comparison ends. Now we can totally walk away from Quaid, whose portrayal might have been more appreciated if Tombstone was never made. But because it was, there's just no denying that Kilmer outacted, out-nuanced, just outright killed it. Even the smallest choices and subtle moves were nothing short of brilliant, in my opinion. Not for one minute did I ever question the authenticity of this character. For me, in this film, Thal Kilmer is Doc Holliday. And Quaid's interpretation felt more forced and it, interesting again, making these at the same time and not being able to know what the other one is doing. The physical attribute work done for this character, oh, please. When uh, Kilmer did that copycat gunslinging with the shot glass, it trumps any of the stunts in the film, any of the shooting, any of the cowboying. And uh, when you put that up against Quaid's single gun spin into his holster, it's just borderline embarrassing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I admit viewing these movies exposed my obsession with wanting to learn how to twirl a gun and holster it impressively. Uh, <laughs> which subsequently led to my admission of a concurrent desire to learn how to flip ordinary flatware at a dinner table. You know, if you were just at a dinner party, can you imagine how cool that would be? You pass the butter, pass the knife, I don't know, and you bam, and you flip a knife and catch it and holster it. I don't know why you do that, but it'd be super badass. <laughs> Let's talk about the cast for Tombstone. Oh, I should mention that Kevin Jar, we already said, had written this movie. He didn't want to take director's credit, but he's written six other films. He's written The Mummy. He's written The Devil's Own, Glory, Tom Cruise, wow. Dead or Alive, Rambo, First Blood Part Two, which we had mentioned, that George also directed on, starring Kurt Russell, Val Kimmler. If you nobody has seen this movie, please go out. It's worth the ride there. Elliot, my personal favorite, Bill Paxton, Michael Bain, Dana Delaney, Paul Malcolmson, and little guest appearances by Jason Priestley and Charlton Heston. It was really, and I have to say that <laughs> it was released in 1993, but at the point where we saw Jason Priestley pop up on screen in his cameo, we were like, oh, wow, Jason Priestley, we didn't remember he was in that. Is this pre-90210? And Jim was like, Jim knew exactly. Smack no, in no, the no, middle. No. This was 19. Season three, actually. <laughs> he had all the information in 411 on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew exactly when they started, um, you know, what you know what season they were in if he still had the sideburns I, you know it was these two movies together were like a who's who of early 90s actors yeah i also like, wanted to mention, like who was it john corbett terry o'quinn baby thomas hayden church michael rooker o powers booth obviously yeah this is a huge right ensemble cast huge 
The sad thing is, even with this stellar, outstanding cast, we talked about Gene Hackman and Bill Pullman and Dennis Quaid and Isabella Rossellini, none of that could combat the unbelievable monotone delivery by Kevin Costner. It, it brought down the rest of the acting of everyone else. I think there were, at some point there was a discussion in the film of what do you think the direction was that Costner was getting? You know, the director was like, um... Try for zombie. Maybe go for zombie? No, 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 no. How about like second grader trying to read? I don't know. I mean, it was just so weird. Flatlining? Oh my God. I just don't know. Everything was so monotone. It was really, really crazy. I didn't like it at all. The one bit of action that I did like that <laughs> from Costner and the direction and what they added into the film was <laughs> there was a young Wyatt who was in a pool hall and he just out of the blue he didn't have a weapon and he takes this pool ball and throws it into this bad guy's chest just completely disabling him quicker than that guy could pull his gun and I kept thinking oh my god we have to do that if we are ever in a pool hall together then I need like a code word I should just let it be like Kershaw and everybody just balls fly. Honestly, so much of what I found wrong with Wyatt Earp was the pacing and those decisions made there. We spent so much time with a younger Wyatt trying to develop the relationships with his brothers. It seemed stagnant compared to Tombstone, which did not spend as much time developing those relationships. Right. Yeah. You know, Wyatt Earp was originally conceived as a six-part miniseries. And I, I believe they forgot that it still wasn't that when they released this in the theaters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wyatt Earp, this is one of the issues I had with Wyatt Earp. It, it was really long and drawn out and you didn't need all that background story to know that these brothers were gonna be close. They're gonna have each other's back. Same thing with, with Doc Holliday. You had all this buildup in Wyatt Earp that really, it didn't even help, I don't think, solidify those relationships. All you really needed is what they did in Tombstone is you saw the characters together and you got that they were close. You got that they were brothers. They had each other's back. You got that Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were close and would do anything for each other. You didn't need to know all that backstory. You felt it when they when they were speaking to each other. So Very that's correct. what I liked about it. It was almost to the contrary where I didn't feel any kind of closeness or any kind of feeling toward any relationship in Wyatt yeah, Earp. It was very muted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Steve, didn't you call this the godfather of all Westerns? <laughs> that seems <No>. questionable. <laughs> yeah, they tried to like force it in, like the brothers were so close, but didn't feel like it. Yeah, show it. Don't tell us, show us. Well, you got uh, Sam Elliott and Bill Paxton in Tombstone and Michael Madsen, who I do love, but is generally kind of a BC movie guy. And then another guy who I don't know from anything. I, we should we could talk about Sam Elliott as being like one of the quintessential like best cowboy looking dudes with the cowboy voice and that mustache. He was actually really good too, you know, fun yeah. to watch. He has that great line when he gets shot twice, right? He gets shot once in the leg and then again in the arm and he's about to die. And he says to his wife, where is it something um, I can still hold you with my good arm? And that must have been true because I think it was in both movies. Yeah, it was. It, it was. One good arm to hold you with. 
and the other one one good arm to hold you with oh my god that's something that i remember from first seeing tombstone is this is like a young girl's fantasy here this is a great cast between i remember the cup slinging with val kilmer but i totally remembered sam elliott's line where he was i got still got one good arm dude is fucking dying he's dying and he's thinking about how his girl is feeling (laughs) man and he went on to be uh, a marshal with one good arm that's right in fact in real life sam elliott's character virgil was more of a law enforcement agent than white earp ever was and apparently at the battle at the okay corral he had a much much bigger part than wyatt earp but didn't get credit for it because wyatt earp made sure he got credit for it but he was actually not a big part of the okay corral doc holiday was and virgil was and you made you just made a, a point amber about virgil and his wife and then the other brother what was his name morgan James. morgan and his wife they were their wives were dedicated to them they were the true partners and you have Wyatt and he never had that with that woman he was with. You know what I mean? It never was that. And his brothers did. So also seeing that I'm sure affected him. They had these women that were partners with his brothers and he didn't have that. No, his wife was not able being no. addicted. You know, reading up about Wyatt Earp, he was in real life gambler, an actual criminal. Uh, he for only a very short part of his career was a lawman and a lot of the lore of Wyatt Earp comes directly from the hand of Wyatt Earp shaping his identity through history, which it makes sense for Tombstone to take a fantasy version of Earp because the real Wyatt Earp is unlikable. And even though it's more accurate to real life, when you're watching a movie about somebody who is unlikable, uh, it's hard to like them. You know, and Kurt Russell makes such a great Wyatt Earp. He's got those eyes. So like, they're a little bit watery, you know? They just look like they're on the brink of tears. They're very sensitive. He has a very warm and inviting face. We like that, as opposed to maybe Kevin Costner, who is so reserved in his delivery and plays a lot of the role like he's Opie from the Andy Griffith show or something, very like little kid-like, very strange choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, the best decision that Tombstone made was it felt like more of a bromance. The love story was really between Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. We see Wyatt and Doc meet 23 minutes into Tombstone, and you establish that they have a past friendship, that they're close and they've been through a lot together. So we get to see them at the height of their bromance, in contrast with Wyatt Earp's decision to try and develop their friendship later from its genesis. But I think it backfired in its execution because there was such little interaction between the two men. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think they shared five minutes of screen time. How can we feel like these two men are close if they never share time on screen. But it was very clear in Tombstone, Wyatt Earp valued Doc Holliday's opinion above anybody else and vice versa. If push came to shove, who was there to have your back? It was these two men. It was the brothers. The women were side characters, but they were never as important as the male relationships in the story. In fact, they saved the one tender, most tender wife moment in the whole thing for Wyatt Earp's brother, Virgil, when when he gets shot. 
you know, I didn't quite get that part in Tombstone. I, it made, I guess, more sense in White Earp why he would never really care about another woman the way that he cared for that woman, the one that died in the rain. Better done in Tombstone, but it made more sense in Wyatt Earp just because, well, he must be with this woman now because, you know, he was so hurt by his wife dying that, you know, he just wanted to be with whoever. And now he's meeting someone again who he really connects with. I think, it, could we talk just a smidge about the end? The only misstep in Tombstone, as far as I was concerned. So they had this great scene at the end. I mean, a real emotional tearjerker moment when uh, Val Kilmer is basically saying, go away. I don't don't watch me die. I love you too much. Please don't sit in. It's like, it was just excruciating. So you, you have that great moment cinematic, two juggernaut actors acting flawlessly in that scene. You could really tell the true love story, like Amber said, between these guys. And then they ruined it with a snow globe dance scene. <sighs> At the yeah, end, that of the should movie. have been a mid-credit scene. Oh, I, I, we were like, all of us were just sitting there, like heartbroken, and then all of a sudden, this thing happens, and we're like, "What? No! Like, I why?" A chick, and I was so distraught by this. Chick. <laughs> I was like, "What?" I would have sooner he walked outside and somebody shot him in the head. I'd be like, well, "That feels <laughs> that feels like a more appropriate ending." That other thing hurt me. You know, and speaking of death, I thought thematically Tombstone stays true to its original intent. We start the film with one of the brothers asking Wyatt if he believes in God and what he really wants out of life. And at that time, Wyatt avoids the answer. At the end of the film, when Wyatt visits Doc, who's dying and he's at his bedside, Doc asks him that very same question. What does Wyatt want out of life? Is he wasting it? Here is Doc dying. He doesn't have any more life to live. He doesn't want to see his friend waste his life. We can see how very precious it is. And it's very powerful coming from someone who no longer has the luxury of those thoughts of what they would do with the rest of their life. So after Doc Holliday's death, we return to why he has to feel free enough to go after it. And in this case, in Tombstone, it ends up going after the gal actress, Josephine. Yeah, so evidently, um, he never even was grazed with a bullet, uh, Wyatt Earp. And that's, there was a scene, I believe it was in, oh, it was definitely in Wyatt Earp because it was so stupid. (laughs) They were in a canyon, in the middle of a canyon on the low ground, and they're surrounded by all these bad guys. And they unload, there's like 15 of them, and... Kevin Costner sitting there like shooting people with his pistol from behind rocks, not getting touched. They show the bullets like hitting through his jacket. The worst position, if we've learned anything from Star Wars, you always want the high ground. And he was in the lowest ground possible, and yet they couldn't shoot him. In an open ravine. Yeah. He had no cover whatsoever. And then we just had to completely be in a state of suspended disbelief that all of these guns that are six shooters have unlimited amount of ammunition at the ready. It is very difficult to shoot one of these pistols. These people who are at the high ground behind the rock cannot hit an open target in the middle of the ravine, which would be Kevin Costner. However, though, Kevin Costner hit a ramble. It's like a cartoon to hit these guys. Not a lot of lump rats growing up. (laughs) When you shoot one of those revolvers, there is a gigantic plume of black powder smoke that would essentially engulf anybody standing near because I've seen those guns get shot and it creates a smoke screen. After two or three shots, you can't see anything. 
that would have been more interesting to see somebody's field of vision clouded or obstructed in some way and how scary that could be. There were choices made. There was nothing factually, historically written about Whiteart being in a ravine and taking out a dozen bad guys. So many choices could have been made there for a shootout. So boring and weird. Which was another thing going back to earlier, you mentioned who the bad guy is was kind of confusing. In Tombstone, it's clearly Curly Bill. Yeah. You get that in the ravine, that showdown. But then in Wyatt Earp, I felt like Ike was kind of in charge yeah. and it wasn't really clear. No. So we didn't get that ravine scene. I, I even forget how uh, Curly Bill died in Wyatt Earp. Did he die in Wyatt Earp? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't remember much. In the extended version, he probably died. <laughs> the 12th, last 12th minute. I mean, the scene between at the end with Johnny Ringo and Doc Holliday in Tombstone, that is like this really scary sort of haunting moment where you, you're you like, how is this guy basically died on his horse in the previous scene? Maybe that's when he was riding and finally the uh, whatever he had tuberculosis or consumption or whatever it was finally got to him. He fell off and he wasn't in there like, we're going to go get these guys. And he's like, I'm going to come with you. And Kurt Russell says, stay. But of course he comes and he has that great showdown with Michael Bain and he shoots him in the head and then he taunts him it's just so uh it was such a great moment you know what i mean because michael bay was a he was a bad guy that movie. you could tell he was the one that was going to cause a lot of problems and he was yeah, like he the evil version of doc holiday almost like he was just as smart they connected like on an intellectual level or the latin yeah. remember the latin part it was like bizarro doc holiday yes yes <laughs> <laughs> um, I like any time we can bring like a Justice League reference. I also wanted to ask you guys, with Powers Booth playing Curly Bill, did y'all get like a Mad Dog Tannen kind of vibe from him? Or was it just me? He was the Aquaman of bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was like he was playing uh, the bad guy from Back to the Future 3. Really good, but again, kind of that, yeah. there's like a slight campiness to it that worked. Yeah, yeah that's true. It, it did, you know, it, it, I was much more scared it, it, it of Michael Bay. Nice. You are fucking out on a planet on that one. Much. <laughs> 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 One of the most interesting pieces of trivia I found digging around on these movies was that Kevin Costner was originally supposed to be involved with Tombstone, or I guess he was involved with Tombstone. And then at that point, he had a disagreement with Jar over the focus of what the film should be about because he wanted the emphasis to be on Wyatt Earp and growing up and staying true to actual history, where obviously Jar's script was veering off into the fantasy spaghetti western that we would like to see or ended up seeing. So Kevin Costner left the project and he eventually teamed up with Lawrence Kasdan to produce his own version of Wyatt Earp. But then that wasn't enough for him. He was so butthurt about it. He used his considerable clout to try to convince most of the major studios to refuse distribution for this competing film. And that affected the casting on the rival project, which as it turns out, the rival film was considerably more successful. Take that, bitter-ass Costner. I mean, it was interesting that the wardrobe choices in White Earp were not as good. I think that I read somewhere that Tombstone took all of the local costumes for their movie and that Wyatt Earp had to import a lot of their uh, costumes from Europe to get the right look because they they took all the wool suits, apparently. Everybody wore wool in that movie. That was one of the problems that some of the actors were having. I read somewhere that Val Kilmer and Kurt Russell both like, yo, why do we have to wear wool 
in Arizona in the summertime? Like, can we not just make it look like wool? I don't know how that works. I'm not a magician, but it feels like you could do that. That's great. It was a little kind of payback for Kevin, <laughs> for Kevin Costner trying to hijack Steal and the sabotage yeah. their movie. <laughs> well, it'll help Val Kilmer sweat, that's for sure. And, and I found like interesting in history, Doc Holliday at that final scene, in real life, Johnny Ringo did not die at the hands of Doc Holliday. Don't tell me that. I know, but again, I love that Tombstone just said, oh, fuck history. We're going to make this story good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just like, Wyatt Earp felt like a history lesson and like not a good one. <laughs> I feel like you could have made choices in Wyatt Earp, even if you wanted to do like a biop that you could have made it interesting or entertaining or cohesive. Yeah, with that cast, I mean, it, it must have been a lot of directorial decisions that were made. It was just so slow. I mean, Gene Hackman and, and, and Kevin Costner, and I mean, this is a monster cast. I can't imagine how it went off the rails so bad unless they just didn't have I think he just done Dances with Wolves and he's like, hey, if we want to win more Oscars, this has to be three hours long. Uh, Talking about like the casting, the casting was so strong and not as successful in Wider, but so strong in Tombstone. I feel like the casting was so much better in Tombstone. Originally, Richard Gere was supposed to play Wyatt Earp in Tombstone and William Defoe was supposed to be Doc Holliday. Now that's wow. a performance that would be interesting. Yeah, that they would, yeah. And I guess that would look like. they said they wouldn't bring William Defoe in because he had just done Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm, and it's too yeah. controversial. Yeah. Last Temptation. Oh, Last Temptation of Christ, right. Last Temptation, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. That role was really too controversial. So they, yeah, they backed out of that. And I believe Richard Gere just flat out said no. So Kurt Russell was really number three because it was Richard Gere. And then they offered it to Kevin Costner at one point because he got all butt hurt. Jim, I'm going to read this review from Metacritic that you found. Yeah. From Morphle. He writes this in 2013. Now he prefaces. This review contains spoilers. <laughs> in some people's criticisms of the flick, I usually see he was dull or he didn't give the character life. And I have to disagree. Yeah. In actuality, he gave the best rendition of the real Wyatt Earp in his life. The movie is a biopic. And for historians like myself, it served its purpose in showing the life and the true personality of a figure Hollywood over glamorized. Mm-hmm. Wyatt Earp was not the type to dance in the snow and was indeed a cold-hearted son of a bitch. I prefer this to Tombstone and no doubt Costner was better than Russell. And actually Quaid was the better doc. Oh, oh no. no. Oh boy. No. no. <gasps> How dare no. you? How dare you? <laughs> I wouldn't say it was a classic movie and spaghetti western versions of the story might be more entertaining. However, the darkness of Costner's movie is chilling and is the version that gets more replay value from me. <laughs> no. Thank you, Morphil. <laughs> Did Steve just ask in the chat if you have to eat spaghetti with the spaghetti western? What the spaghetti westerns were, Steve, is uh-huh. that um, back in the, I think it was the 60s, uh, Clint Eastwood made some. And basically they were inexpensive cowboy movies made in Italy. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and then um, that's why they call them spaghetti westerns. They were just really in- inexpensive cowboy movies to make. And Clint Eastwood was one of those stars before he became a big American cowboy star. And they would I shoot thought complete- it was like a Fellini. Was it like Fellini doing spaghetti westerns? Because this, I mean, in a way, like they'd shoot completely without sound and do everything ADR afterwards. So it was like super cheap. Because it didn't seem like a Fellini movie because I didn't see any like ostriches walking randomly across the screen or little kids crying outside of churches that were on fire. That was when you went to the bathroom. Oh, 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 oh. Because you couldn't hold it for three and a half hours. Well, who can? Good Lord. Satan. Maybe fucking Morphil can hold it for three and a half hours. I bet bet he watched the 12 extra minutes. Absolutely. That's his, like, (laughs) his go-to. He was right when he says that it's not a classic movie and that a spaghetti Western version might be more entertaining. It's facts. Those are facts. True. <laughs> but I don't know what he's calling a spaghetti western is not a spaghetti western. That's that's my point. No, I mean no, that the tombstone is not a spaghetti western, no. I'd love to see a wider spaghetti western actually. Get on that. Write it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> When I find the time. There was another Metacritic review that you mentioned by The Walrus. Oh, yeah, The Walrus. Yeah, I forgot. Yes, The Walrus 2000. Basically, this kind of sums up, I think, how we feel about Wyatt Earp. It's very succinct. He writes or she writes, Wyatt Earp doesn't impress, but it does manage not to be a bad film also. Better direction and a better way of writing this cowboy epic, and it might have been an enjoyable film. There's not much else to say. That's what the review. There's not that much... (laughs) That was the I love it's not good but that doesn't mean it's not bad if it only had different directing and writing editing just better editing and writing and directing it could have been an enjoyable it book. might have been enjoyable that's all and there's <laughs> and she ends with there's not much else to say it's true that's it <laughs> she really summed it up what I mean she really so, did. yeah so if this was a complete Completely different movie. It would have been better. <laughs> well said, Walrus. <laughs> that is our Metacritic review of uh, these movies. He has his opinion, and you know, being in his, his, he is an historian. That these are this was a little more correct interpretation, maybe. That Doesn't like the glamour of two. Yeah. I do understand now, knowing the real story of Wyatt Earp, his life is over-glamorized. This is grittier. Still stand Mm -hmm. behind my original thought of you can tell a story that's not over-glamorized and grittier and closer to real life and still structure it in a way that your audience can follow it. And Mm -hmm. even if you weren't on the edge of your seat, it's not supposed to be that kind of movie, but you'd have a really great understanding. That's how they should have ended it. Oh my God not three hours of this, but you go through this story and you see that this guy is really just a shitty guy. And none of these characters are very likable, even Doc Holloway. And then you end it with him flipping the story when he's talking to this author about his life because he's going to write a book about him. And then at the very end, you can see how he hypersensationalized his entire story. Yeah, oh my yeah. God, that would have fixed the he's, movie. He's typing it up. <laughs> he's typing it up and he's about to type something else. And he goes, nah, this will be better. And then like. <laughs> <laughs> well, then that could be a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? The 
that solves the whole story structure problem and makes it much more interesting for what Morphil is saying, then, then that's the thing you should shine a light on is right, how... They, do, they touch on it. When um, Kevin Costner kind of says, well, there's different versions and I don't even really remember which one is true. But yeah, they could have done a little bit better. Yeah. yeah, that one little throwaway line is not enough to help. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, between the two films, it's just hands down. Tombstone executed this better. Maybe, wider, is there another biopic? Gunfight in the OK Corral? Wasn't that a wider movie? I don't know if it's a biopic. Yeah. I wonder if there was maybe a better comparison. Maybe it wasn't fair after watching these two movies to compare them directly because one was a fantasy version and one was supposed to be a more realistic version. Maybe. Well, but like you said, it doesn't negate being quality film just because you want to be serious and, and, and real. Zach, you're right. I am right. <laughs> There was <laughs> zero laughs in Wider. There was a few laughs in Tombstone. And not to the point that it took me out of what they were doing. Right. You know, it worked. Yeah. It was clever. It was like, it was, it was clever humor. It wasn't just like ha 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 humor. It was yes, like- Yes, everything you know, with Billy Bob Thornton was, was, and I'm not even a big Billy Bob Thornton yeah. fan, but I was like, ah, oh, this is great. Yeah. And he comes back, it's laugh. like, just, just leave your gun. <laughs> yeah. Are we voting now for which one won? Yeah. Yeah. I go for um, 1976 version of Red Heat. <laughs> <laughs> Reigning champion. Still undefeated. Still haven't which watched was the, anything which that was the godfather it. of buddy films. <laughs> no, the 1976 version, not the 85 version of Red Heat. No, still the godfather of buddy films. <laughs> Just spelled differently. Exactly. Yeah, uh, definitely Tombstone. I mean, it's all about Val Kilmer. Uh, you know, I read somewhere also real quick that Kurt Russell actually wound up directing this film once Jar, once he got let go. I read that actually Kurt Russell directed it and that the guy who got the credit was sort of just there to make sure that things were moving on smoothly. But that Kurt Russell actually directed the film after. And Kurt Russell grew up in film. You know, right, so right. even though he's not known as a director, I believe he knew what he was doing. That also was quoted by Kurt Russell. So we don't know, I guess, the veracity of that, but. That Are you going to question Kurt Russell's honor? I oh can't. Not those I eyes, not those eyes. warm, sympathetic eyes that give you a little bit of water. <laughs> Mm. What about you, Jim? Did you give your vote? I, well, I mean, my, my vote is going to be for Tombstone, and of course. And then I'm also going to say it's because of Al Kilmer, of course. There is also a line that you guys didn't mention. It's one. It's a line I mentioned when we were watching it that I remembered, and it wasn't, you know, wasn't one of those that were quotable by everyone, like uh, "I'll be your Huckleberry." But he is playing poker with one of the bad guys, and the bad guy loses, and he gets mad, and he, he accuses Val Kilmer of cheating, and he's like, you know, he's not cheating, and he's like you know you're just not very good at this you know you know maybe next time we can have a spelling contest you know <laughs> stuff like that that just just it was so funny because just putting this guy down he just lost all his money and he's like you're just not that good at this let's have a spelling contest next time and maybe we can get that <laughs> all that that comic relief um that Val Kimmer brought to it and it told a good story and it told a piece of the story whereas White Earp kind of started from the beginning and all the way through I didn't need all that to get you know the relationship between the brothers the relationship between him and Doc Holliday. I got all that in Tombstone and it was enjoyable. And that's why I want to see a movie a lot of times. It's like, I want to be entertained. And that's really did entertain Is me. Is that so. why you watch movies? That's why I watch movies. Unlike <laughs> Steve, we know why Steve watches movies. <laughs> what? Well, we know that, what was his name? Morphil. Morphil does not watch for entertainment. 
That's not no. a criteria for him. And he should probably stick with the History Channel. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the wrong thing for you, Morpho. Any plugs? Steve is still working on Heist at Netflix, which is coming out when? Remind me. Coming out probably at the end of April. Still have two more episodes to complete in sound, but uh, it's going to be good. Check it out. It's a reenactment show about the biggest heists in American history. And <gasps> told by the, as told by the people who heisted. That's super heisters. cool. That's a great concept. Yes. It's, it's, I bet it's they quite found a way to take something that was historically true and still make it entertaining whilst containing all of the facts. And it sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim, Jim, you've got your Lexus campaign that you're working on still. Yes, I'll, I'll be working on that for the next few months. So that's what I'm doing. And Zach, you still have reruns of So Fast, So Furious? No. No. <laughs> Mm-mm, it's done. I mean, you can still listen to it. What's a rerun of a podcast? I mean, oh, I guess. Oh, that's very old-timey of me to say, I guess. <laughs> Older episodes? What, what would you call them? Archived episodes? Sure. Yeah, you can You can still download it on uh, iTunes. How many episodes did you do of that? I mean, we must have gotten into 70 or 80. Wow. 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 See, that was Zach's podcast where he watched... 15 minutes of a Fast and Furious film at a oh, time. Well, you see, you got to set it up correctly, though. Oh, I'm sorry. You see, what... because Dom lives his life a quarter mile at a time. We're watching oh. the entire series a quarter hour at a time. Awesome. So there is a correlation. That must have been so confusing. <laughs> it was oh. really cool, actually. You have also a series on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Metal School, which oh. uh, I just did um, a video about this band called Aria that are considered the Russian Iron Maiden. And they're completely unknown in the West, but they've been around for like 30 years and was actually really cool. Like promoter for the band reached out to me and asked me to do a video for them. They reposted it on their channel and everything. And it turned out pretty well. So that's so cool. You should check it out. Zach has a, an obsession with 80s rock. Who doesn't? That's true. <laughs> Satan. Should but we it's, uh, tease the next episode? What we're uh, against for next film sure. fight? Sure. Yeah, let's do that. Ooh, we know what it is. Uh, so next time on Film Fights, we're going to be putting RoboCop versus RoboCop. The 19, or uh, what is it? 1987. 1987, Peter Weller and Red from that 70s show <laughs> against the 2017 version with, I don't know who's in it. I is think it's 2014. The- 2014, Killer. Richard Grieco? I don't know. It was, uh, no, it's Joel Killinan, I think is his name. He's, I like him. Oh, he's good. Yeah, yeah no, I like is. him. Yeah. We do a, a remake matchup. That's going to be awesome because I haven't seen the new one and the old one probably stinks. <laughs> no you comment. Will see. No, it's actually Ronnie Cox. There's a bunch of good actors in it. Yeah. But I don't know if it holds up. It's probably gross. And people will have to turn in to, to next week. To find or exactly. For me, uh, you can find episodes, season one of Stillwater on Apple TV. May 31st is going to be the premiere of Housebroken on Fox, starring Lisa Kudrow. The next episode of this coming up. And that's that. Yeah. Right? Well, that's awesome. Thanks for hanging out, guys. And we'll see everybody next time. Adios. Bye. Bye. Thanks a lot. Sound effects courtesy of the Soundly app. Go to GetSoundly.com for your complete sound effect platform. Intro and outro music for this episode is District 4 by Kevin McLeod.
Hear more like this on Incompetech.com. Thanks for listening, everybody, and be sure to rate us on iTunes and give us a review if you feel like it. Uh, shoot us an email at filmfightpodcast at gmail.com if there's a matchup you'd like to see. And that's it for this week. Catch us next time for another episode of the Film Fight Podcast.